Welcome to The Bright-Eyed, a podcast dedicated toward empowering teens to make a difference. Each week, I interview inspiring teens from all over the world to help share their story and talk about important global issues. Tune in to start your week feeling a little more inspired and empowered to make a change. We are more than capable of changing our world for the better. Let's see who's rising to the occasion. I'm your host, Daisy No, and this is The Bright-Eyed. Hello there, and welcome to The Bright-Eyed. Today, my guest is Rhea Syriac, the Executive Director of the Young Writers Initiative, a nonprofit organization dedicated toward educating, serving, and inspiring young writers. She is also a singer, a barotonantium dancer, model UNer, and of course, a writer with published work in a variety of magazines. She will be attending the University of Texas at Austin as a business and Plan 2 honors major, and hopes to pursue a career in law business. Welcome to the show, Rhea. It's so good to have you here. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, of course. And I mean, from your bio, it sounds like you're not only an incredible writer, but you lead this awesome organization. But before we get into that, I would love to ask you about you as a writer. So what got you first interested in writing? Well, I mean, I think I've always been interested in writing. Um, especially when I was like in third and fourth grade, I was like a kid with a lot of emotions and a child processing them. And so writing was always like an outlet on how to not only expel my creativity, but expel like these feelings I was having inside. And it was like a way for me to speak to the world. And then I had teachers that would encourage me to keep writing and would read my books in class and everything. Um, And so that would motivate me further to not only just like use it as a vessel for my emotions, but actually, um, you know, use my creativity through it and really develop who I am as a person and I sincerely believe that who I am as a person has developed because of like the characters I've made in my head and the world and all that I've learned about like developing my writer voice I've also developed my own voice outside of that. I love that and would you say you kind of found um, your voice also through writing and in the way that you've been able to publish work Um, is that kind of how you express yourself and share um, your perspective? I think so. Um, A big thing about like my writing now is especially publishing in magazines is a bit different than like normal, like when you think of like Percy Jackson and books like that. Um, And so a lot of the stuff that I publish in magazines is somewhat narrative. And so even if it's creative fiction, it has like a little bit of a nonfiction element that comes with it so that it has the authentic factor that really, you know, strikes well with magazine editors that like to publish them. Um, But yeah, I've definitely found my voice. I've learned to become, talk about issues in in my own life that I never like wanted, felt comfortable talking about and verbalizing and just kind of suppressed inside. And even if I don't publish those things, it's like they're in my Google Docs, just like sitting there showing me how much like I've grown. That's amazing. So like by looking back in your work, you can kind of see like how you've changed, how you've grown. I think that's such a cool thing to see and special thing about writing because it is there. Once you write it, you can like always revisit it. So I think that's so cool. Um, But outside of writing, you are also a dancer, a singer, a cook. And like I I can only imagine so much more. Um, So, you know, how do your kind of varied interests and hobbies contribute to your writing and shape uh, the writer that you are? I mean, that's a great question. And I I think that they honestly don't mesh that often, oddly enough. I think that 
Um, they're all different outlets for creativity and they're all kind of in the fine arts realm. I'm more, I'm much more a fine arts person than like a sports athletic person. Um, but like, for example, my singing was a way that I connected with my community. Um, and it was just like a way of like developing my stage confidence and same thing with dance. Dance is a lot more about my friends, um, and that kind of stuff. And writing has always just been kind of like, a what's the like craziest thing I can think of? And like, how can I develop that? A lot of my philosophy I've like developed through my writing. So like, I might have this like crazy idea about like the afterlife or morality and stuff. And as I've grown up and grown older, um, I've incorporated that in my writing and started to understand my own beliefs through that vessel. That's amazing. And I think that's cool about writing too, is when you, when you write, you're kind of like um, changing abstract thoughts and putting them into language, which is like a very interesting process. And sometimes there are like things that you think about that you can't really express. And that's because it's so abstract. Um, I, I think that's so cool that you get to kind of like see your consciousness and what you're thinking about. Um, and so like kind of as a writer, how has that kind of shifted your perspective um, as you, you know, just go about your day to day or as you, you know, try to overcome challenges or do tasks? Like, how does that kind of affect how you see things? That's a good question. I think I a lot of times think through the lens of my characters in some situations. I'm much more observant of the world now because as a writer, you kind of like, you have to absorb and understand the world and the settings and you know, the, people, the way people talk and all that kind of stuff for it to actually translate well into your writing. More than anything, I think it's just a way, like reading stuff too has mostly shaped my ideologies. Um, there have been like books that are like, not even like philosophy books, like fiction books. Um, that like have deeply changed how I've seen society. Um, and like part of being a writer is being a reader. Um, and so I kind of put those two in the same thing. And there's so many like books that just like permanently have been made me like change my perspective on morality and like spirituality and relationships, especially. There's just so much to unpack when it comes to relationships in like literature. That's so cool. And I think that's true, you know, kind of like if you're a writer, you're also, you know, most likely also a reader and kind of like absorbing that. Um, I, I think that's that's kind of cool to see how writing leaks into other parts of your life. Um, do you have kind of like a piece that you've written or an example of something that kind of like most connected to you, you're either most proud of or was kind of more of that piece that kind of expressed you in the best way? Yeah, it, it, this is weird, but the first like poem I actually wrote, um, not first, but like the first like poem that I actually cared about and like tried publishing is like, I think to this day, one of the best ones I've ever written. Um, and that's like what opens a whole different conversation about how publishing changes your voice and changes your, you know, the way that you write and the reason that you write and how that can be kind of toxic. But the first poem I ever wrote um, was it was called it's Yemeni Children. Um, and I published it in Lumiere Review and it also won like a Scholastic Award. Um, and it's it was a poem that like, I really, it, it wasn't about me. It was about the situation in Yemen because um, I really cared about it. Um, and I was just being able to, ex under, I, I, I was able to break down like this feeling of, you know, trying to put someone else in like the shoes, even though I'm not, one of those children. Um, I remember when I went to like this Holocaust Memorial one time, um, these, the, the person that was giving the tour was saying how at the, after the Holocaust end and after they 
freed all the people in the concentration camps, um, they would try feeding these like children rice, but then the rice like wouldn't like because it hadn't eaten in so long, the rice would like basically like pop in their bellies and, and like, you know, you know, not be good for them. And so I remember that from that from like, you know, a couple years back. And then I was like, well, the situation of like starvation is the same. And so I tried to like, you know, explain that feeling by using that same verbiage. And overall, I'm just really proud of how it came together. It's not about me at all, but it kind of reminds me of like the reason I started writing. And it wasn't always to express myself, but to um, just like tell stories that need to be told. And, you know, whether that be my specific experience or like the creator, the people I create in my head or, um, you know, just general themes in society that we need to pay more attention to. I love that. And I, I think like the more I talk to writers and artists and kind of people more on the creative side, um, every time we kind of talk about expression of self through art, they also kind of bring up like, well, it's also like, you know, that kind of platform for me to give a voice to people who don't have one and be that voice. And I, I think that's so cool that you're able to do that through your writing. Um, and your your organization is kind of also, you've extended a hand toward young writers as well to kind of give them like a leg up on the pro- publishing process, on everything um, that they need to know. And so um, I'd love to ask kind of what are those, you know, challenges that young writers face when trying to pursue their passion for writing that kind of led to you starting your organization? Absolutely. I mean, I think that my purpose in the writing community has changed as I started this organization. I think of myself less as a writer and more of like the business side of writing and helping other people become writers. And I still love writing and like, I don't plan to make a career out of it. Um, but I do like, I love what I love more is like kind of like helping with those other issues. And so the story behind Tywee, which is the Young Writers Initiative is um, that when I was like, in the kind of like slum of writing where I was kind of stuck everything that was that every program that was available I either didn't know about or it was too expensive um and then like services like editing and self-publishing were just way too expensive and so I was kind of just stuck like where do I go next and that wasn't just like a me feeling that was a pretty universal feeling amongst a lot of young writers especially those that don't have access to these resources or even knowledge of them and so my friend and I wanted to start a literary magazine at our school and our school was like, nah, <laughs> we can't really regulate that. And so we weren't allowed to. And then so we just started the Young Writers Initiative and we would never have imagined it would go to this place. Um, it's kind of surreal to think about. We just onboarded like 30 new board me- um, internal team members. Um, we just finished onboarding this week. And so it's really crazy to see like that there's so many people that actually also care passionately about this issue. Um, but I think the main challenges that face young writers are this idea of imposter syndrome, always feeling like you're not experienced enough to write stories or that you haven't like learned enough about life, which we recently had a write-a-thon, which is one of our big conference events. Um, and we have we had Chloe Gong, who is the best-selling author of These Violent Delights, come and talk to us. And a big thing she was talking about was like, she thinks it's so funny how adults like to tell young writers that they're not they're not experienced enough to write YA, um, which is young adults when they're young adults and they've experienced, they are young adults, right? And the whole idea of like experiencing life is just something that a lot of um, 
older writers like to like discredit us for. Um, and there's obviously a ton of nice old writers, but I think the biggest things that there are barriers in the writing community is just accessibility. It's either too expensive, it's not available, um, especially on an international scale. A lot of the creative writing programs are in the US or in countries that have more developed fine arts programs. And a lot of our base as Taiwi is actually not in, just in the US, but it's in places, it's, it's, we have a strong base in India and we have like our team is from I think every continent except Antarctica and so like that was the goal um and to kind of spread these free resources free or really affordable resources out to anyone in the world um because that previously hadn't existed before that's so cool and that I think like because I I'm not someone who's been through the writing process or I like I write things but I've, I've never published so I think it's so cool kind of learning about what the writing community kind of looks like and the challenges you face internally like I I had no idea that regionally um kind of like depended on what you have access to that's not something that I thought about before um and so I I just love that your organization is trying to break those barriers down especially for young writers you know who are constant like you were saying constantly being told that you don't have enough experience or like you're way too young to like actually know how to express things like this but I mean you were able to write about the situation in Yemen win awards for it so clearly that's not the case um and so I I think that's so cool about your organization and kind of like when when you were starting it out were there any things that you know any doubts you had you know before you realized how successful you guys were going to be um what was kind of like stopping you from starting initially absolutely so um so i actually it's it's funny because my friends now um they see you know a similar post on the explore page or like they see how much it's grown and then they're like you know at the beginning i really didn't think it was going to work out but i'm really proud that of you that it did and so i just think that's like a funny story to start off with but everyone's always going to doubt you like your parents are going to doubt you my pa- my dad just recognized this like this weekend that like this is an actual thing because his friend was like hey your daughter has this nonprofit and stuff and he was like oh I guess it is a real thing then, right? And so there's always going to be people that doubt you, especially when I when I started out, I think a big thing that was really stressful was money. Um, and I, it took me like a year and a half to actually grasp how to earn money for this organization and how to keep it running and how to grow it so that we can do better things and hopefully one day pay our staff members and, you know, become something that um, is long-term, right? Uh, and so I think when... Because I, I don't have two thousand dollars to spend on a nonprofit five hundred one c three application, like that's it's really expensive, right? I still don't. We're still fundraising for that, and we just started. But um, so I think that's a big doubt that I had was that number one, could I afford this? And then number two was I was a really bad leader before this organization. Like sincerely, um, like a couple months before I started it, I had. Um, I started a club at my school that was for South Asian dancers and it just kind of flopped. And I, um, I had like the psych project that I had a total mental breakdown over because I was micromanaging. And so I was kind of like at the end of my leadership string. I was like, you know what, this is the last thing I'll do before I'm like, either I'm good at it or I'm not. Right. And so I was really doubtful about my ability to lead a team um, and specifically let go of responsibility because I was always someone that micromanages a lot of things. Um, But I learned as I got people from different parts of the world um, 
that came and just contributed their ideas and were so passionate about the cause, I learned to let back and become a better leader, right? Which is, I think, the best part. And something I always say is that the world seemed so small before in quarantine. Like quarantine, it had its issues. But like my bubble was San Antonio, Texas, you know, and I did not really go outside of that. Um, and everyone that I knew was there. I didn't know about Scholastic. I didn't know about this whole teen nonprofit culture. Um, you know, that was all kind of foreign to me. And so when quarantine opened up and I met all these people from all over the world, it was just like such an eye opener and it, the world just became so much bigger. And I think that that was one fruitful thing that came out of this whole debacle. <laughs> I love the way you phrase that kind of like our world, like actually getting bigger. And that's so true. Like I, I even like starting a podcast, like I, I didn't like fathom that I had all this technology and I could talk to people from all over the world. And I just like, didn't do that before. Um, so it was kind of like this eye opener. Like we have the ability to connect with people from all over the world. Why have we not been using it? And it's been so cool getting to like talk to people from other regions, from other countries, from other sides of the world and kind of like expand your perspective a little bit. Um, and I, I also um, could kind of relate to what you were talking about leadership. And I, I, you know, that feeling of like, well, I guess I'm not a great leader, that micromanaging perfectionism. Uh, what helped you overcome that? Because I'm sure many listeners could probably relate to that. Yeah, for sure. Um, there's this type of leadership called transformational leadership. And it took me a really long time to understand what that was and how to actually implement that. Um, but for, for reference, I was like an authoritarian, authoritative leader before. Um, so I would like micromanage everything. I would say, you know what, if you don't want to do it, I'll just do it for you. You know, like, you don't have to do that. Right. And I'd get frustrated and so mad, you know, when people weren't doing things and weren't feeling passionate about this cause that I cared so much about. And then, and I had to take a step back and I had to re reflect and I realized that for a cause to be successful, I cannot be the only one that cares about it. And I cannot act like I'm the only one that cares about it. And I cannot discredit other people's emotions towards it. Right. I can't take, I, I can't just be like, no to all their ideas because they don't agree with exactly what I had the vision. I can't be completely closed off. Right. Being a leader is being a good team member. It's listening to other people. It's understanding circumstances. It's being kind. And most importantly, what I've realized is that it's energy. Leadership, I think the hardest thing about leadership for me at the beginning was energy. It's just constantly staying energized, being able to recognize that my anger and frustration at some things was not always their fault. And I had to recognize that. And I had to step back and say, when I'm, if I'm writing out, like if someone's kind of absent, instead of writing out something like, you know what, I'm so frustrated with all of you guys not doing any work. You're not, you know, I feel like I'm super alone in this. You know, you guys aren't doing anything. You want to even succeed, right? Instead of saying that, I had to shift my mindset to be like, you know, you be, we're doing a really great job right now. And, you know, I'm so proud of us. I think that if we want to grow more as an organization and reach our goals, then we need to be more active or have this goal, whatever it is like that. Um, and so when I started changing my leadership style from being like a me centered thing to having our organization be an our centered thing, it really changed the game. That's amazing. I, you know, I am not 
thought about leadership that way, kind of tr- turning into like, because when you when you start something, you're obviously the most invested in it. You know, it's kind of like your brainchild. Um, you're putting so much energy behind the scenes. And then if your team members aren't doing the same, um, our brain kind of just like assumes our inner thoughts are transferable, but that's not true. You know, you have to communicate them. Uh, you have to check in with other people because they don't see the kind of the organization as the same way that you do because you're the one who started it. Uh, and I, I'd love to kind of bring it back to your organization and talk about how you've been able to help young writers. So what are some of the ways that you've been trying to help them with your business perspective um, during this whole like writing, pursuing your passion process? Yeah, so we have a fantastic team. Um, now it's like 70 people and we have like 300 volunteers. Uh, it didn't start that way, right? But it was, it has evolved to that. Um, but we offer free editing, which of your manuscript, beta reading, cover designing. So that's like when you cover that cover and then book reviewing is something we're developing. Then um, it's still in development. Um, so it's cover designing. Um, and then we off- also offer events. So we just had our write-a-thon. It was two days, 24 hours, non-consecutive. Um, and we had like, it was such a surreal experience. We had a similar one um, for only 12 hours in the winter. We also have a summer camp. It's over now. <laughs> we, we just finished tomorrow actually um and the mentorship program which we said we are finishing tomorrow as well um and it was insane we have like this author named marissa meyer um if you're if you're a reader you know who she is <laughs> and so it was great we, we all had like a field day when she was like on the mentor um and then we also offer, we have a literary magazine. It's our sect called Juven. It's our publishing sect um, of the organization. And we, we have all of our volunteer positions. Um, people love to volunteer with us for some reason. Um, we have this process called Bootcamp. Um, where essentially we don't just like accept everyone to be a volunteer. It's like being a part of a process. We train everyone to make sure that our services are up, you know, up to par. Um, and also it's a, it's a learning experience being a volunteer at Taiwi. Um, and then we have like a Discord server and we hold contests. Um, we had four contests this year and we have a really big one coming up um, this soon. I, I don't know when this is going to be aired, but there's a really big pot. There's a really big contest with a lot of prize money um, starting in August. Um, and so I'm excited for that one. Um, and we have like anthologies that we do. Um, we have merch. And so we have, we, we do, we, we do quite a lot. Um, but it's, it's truly the best to be part of. And so in your experience, what has been the best part about running the Young Writers Initiative for you? I think it's truly changed my life. Like it has changed who I am as a person. Um, it has, made me 70 new friends who love to roast me all the time (laughs) it has given me job opportunities um people and has most most of all i think the best thing is about starting any teen initiative or being a leader in any any initiative at a young age the best thing about it is that you can make mistakes that you make later on in life right so communication mistakes that you would make in your career or um, you know, issues with productivity and that kind of stuff. I have been able to figure that out at this age because I have the opportunity to do with my nonprofit. Um, and so I think that's like something I've learned from it. But my favorite thing about running it is definitely like the people. Um, it is 
like the team is just amazing. Like they're truly a dream. Um, I know a lot of people that I talk to that have nonprofits struggle with their teams. Um, but, and it, we struggled for a while. We struggled for like six months. Um, but then we found people that actually cared about the organization. And we also, who had great, great ideas. And once we started implementing their ideas, which is always fun, I love expanding it. Um, they became invested in the organization because now a little bit of their brain baby is inside of it as well. And so the organization is not my child anymore. You know, it's all of our, you know, it's all the part of our work and creativity and imagination. And like anyone that wants to start something in the writing community, I honestly don't say no to most things. If it's a good idea and if they're willing to execute it, I'm like, go ahead. And for example, we're expanding to a book club, a critique partner program, a podcast actually for writers and um, a chapters program for schools. Um, and so those are our goals for the next six months to year. Um, but just overall, I love learning everything about it, but the people and expanding it and like learning everything from it is the best thing. Yeah. And so we're, this is going to be kind of like a Q&A time. We had a question submitted by listeners. And if you want to get your question featured on the show, you can follow at the Friday pod on Instagram. Um, so Mia in California asked, do you get uninspired to write sometimes? Absolutely. Like, I think I, for a good six months, was in an uninspired phase. Like, um, <laughs> so like the past six months, I've been uninspired. And then I went to a write-a-thon and then I was like inspired by the write-a-thon and people that were speaking there. Um, and so I kind of reunited again a little bit. Um, but that that's just part of being a writer. Writer's block is real, unfortunately. And writer's block doesn't just mean that you don't like want to write or that you don't have ideas but that everything you write seems to be bad, right? Like that's that's what it is to me at least. Um, and so I've had periods of where I'm just uninspired in like my style of writing. Um, but as long as you keep reading and try engaging yourself with different inspirations like Tylee, um, then, you know, you can, you can get out of it and you'll be perfectly fine. So that's awesome advice. And I think like as a writer, I assume that that happens all the time, you know, like writer's block, um, something that... I don't know if we're in school, we're also familiar with, but I feel like for people who are constantly writing, that is something that, you know, is just a part of it. So thank you so much for that great advice. And I hope that helped you out, Mia. Um, and Sophia also in California wants to know, um, how did you get started as a nonprofit starter? That's a good question. So I came in knowing nothing, like nobody that I knew had started a nonprofit. It was like, like a, joke with my friends like oh if we want to stand on our college apps got to start nonprofits now and but like nobody did it like i mean i knew a couple people that did but like nothing online everything they did was like in person and so this i started in january before covid um not this january last january um before covid and um like i was like just completely lost i guess um at, at the beginning it was we didn't even call it a nonprofit. We called it like a club or organization. Um, it wasn't a club. It was an organization, but we didn't want to attach the nonprofit name onto it until we were fiscally sponsored or an actual nonprofit, which we're fiscally sponsored now. But I think a lot of it is reaching out to people um, and you know, getting advice. Like you can always DM me. I love answering those questions. I love getting on calls um, with people who want to start their own initiatives. Um, but also just trial and error. You're going to fail. You're going to, we, for our first, I think our original team 
there is only one person that is remaining that was from that team. Everyone else had left, um, you know, within, between the years, right? And then we gained more and more people and we learned how, who, you know, who is fit for our team. And we developed, in my opinion, a foolproof hiring process um, and it has not failed us. Um, and um, we learned how to communicate. We learned how to cold email really well and get speakers. Um, we learned how to make people care about our organization. We adapted our volunteer stuff. It's just a lot of failing and then doing it again and failing and doing it again, doing it again. And also feeling at a small scale, you don't want to like, you know, throw everything out there, if that makes sense. Um, and like have this plan and not test trial it. Sorry about that. And not test trial it beforehand. Um, so like, for example, for our bootcamp program, we didn't like allow 550 volunteers to come on the first bootcamp cycle. We did it with like three. Um, and so if it failed, it failed at a very micro level. Um, and then once we kind of did that test trial and stuff, we were confident in bringing it to a larger stage. Um, so that would be my advice. Just be willing and be ready to fail. And if you're not ready to fail, then uh, join an existing organization where you can also implement your ideas because you don't have to start a nonprofit. Like that's not necessarily, you know, I feel like a lot of people think you have to, to be like successful or, you know, be seen as legitimate in today's society, but not unfortunate. I don't know why, but it's not easy. Uh, so if, you know, if, if it's not, if the reason I started Taiwi is because there was nothing like it before. Um, if there were some, I looked for organizations that were like it before that I could join and there just weren't any, right? So if you're in that same boat, then yeah, go go ahead and, you know, start one, right? But if you, if there's a lot of, it's, if your market is oversaturated, for example, like Girl in STEM is like super oversaturated, right? There are a lot of amazing organizations that you can join and actually implement ideas and make your desire change in. And that's going to look so much better for you and make you feel so much better than having to start something from the scratch up and without knowing what you're doing. Uh, well, thank you so much for talking to me, Ria. It was such a pleasure getting to like learn more about your organization, hear about kind of your perspective on writing and the business side too, which is something I know that much about before. Um, but before we kind of close out, I would love to ask you one last question. So if the whole world was listening to you right now, what would you say? Don't let anybody define who you are or what you do. Um, and don't let someone else's expectations of you or their vision for your life overtake it um, and be willing to change your vision for your life and for your organization and for things because life is wild <laughs> and it is unforgiving but it is fun thanks for tuning in to this week's episode if you enjoyed it be sure to leave a rating and review and follow or subscribe on the platform you're tuning in from to see a video version of this episode and any other episode in Season 3, subscribe to the Bright Eyed Podcast on YouTube. For updates and more inspiring content, follow at the Bright Eyed Pod on Instagram. Tune in next week for another inspiring interview, and until then, I'll talk to you soon.